and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. I'm curious, do you want to know how to achieve lasting positive transformation, abundance and empower your life? If you are not happy with where you are today and the repeating patterns that represent in your life over and over again, then a radical shift is what's required to help you make changes and live your life more on purpose. All you need to do is sign up to our email list and you will receive an online module on how to create radical paradigm shifts. You can get it completely for free when you sign up to our email list at katherineplano.com. And as a valued subscriber, you are also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers, where we will have members-only events, free access to online masterclasses, VIP and discount tickets to all events. Only available for people on our email list, we offer bonus content with more advanced tips that are exclusive just for our email subscribers. There is an amazing stuff available for you only if you sign up to the email list and you can do that by going to katherineplano.com and sign up on the homepage. This week, we've got another super amazing woman for you, Helen Baker. Helen is an Australian licensed financial advisor and founder of On Your Own Two Feet, an Australia-wide service dedicated to empowering women to gain and retain their financial freedom. Before pursuing financial planning, Helen enjoyed eye-opening years in the entertainment industry, putting her financial and project management now to work as part of working with well-known performers, including Robbie Williams and Sia. She also managed a range of projects, including a global acquisition for Record and Coleman. Continuing in the European division, helped businesses restructure and guided investors to commercialise their products. Coming from a background that was loaded with love but not money, Helen taught herself to be dollar-wise, a lifelong learner. She sought to become thoroughly educated and knowledgeable about money matters and then wanted to share them with women. A career-changing move for Helen and life-changing for some of her clients as well as the charities her work support. Helen's first book, On Your Own Two Feet, Steady Steps to Women's Financial Independence was published in 2014 and all profits from her books go to charities supporting disadvantaged 
women. You can see Helen on Studio 10, hear her on the radio and read her articles in various magazines. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So this week, as always, we have a super amazing guest for you, Helen Baker. Welcome to Iron Woman Project. Thank you very much. So as we always love to start the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So tell us your story. What inspires you to do what you do today? Yeah, I've had a bit of a journey, actually. So I started out probably wanting to be a teacher when I was quite young. So I used to like drawing on the blackboard and drawing on the walls. Um, And then I ended up going into accounting, which gave me the finance kind of background there. And then from there, started doing a lot of project work and worked overseas for the likes of Reckitt and Coleman as a project manager back in the day. So I did a merger and acquisition for them and then became their European project manager, which was really fun because then you're in London on a Monday and the rest of the week you're in France, Germany, Spain, Switzerland, wherever you had to be. So that was pretty good for an Australian to be doing those kind of things because we like to travel. So that was a good one. And then after that, my job moved permanently to Paris because they realised that we were – in London with a big office and paying all this rent, but we weren't really there only on a Monday for meetings. So my job moved to Paris, which sounds very glamorous, except I can't speak any French. So that was going to be a little bit of a daunting move, but I thought, okay, knuckle down. You'll get the language down better in a year, make new friends, set yourself up and so on. But in the end, I decided, no, I want to stay in London, keep going there. So I took a redundancy. And after a little while, I actually went to Bible college for a little while. And then from there, started doing some consultancy work, getting back into it. And I got picked up by IE Music, who are Robbie Williams's management team. So I did a bit more of the project management finance background working for them until finally after leaving to go from Australia for two years, I ended up seven and a half years later, really homesick and came back to Australia. So Everyone thought, well, you've got all this great knowledge, you'll do um, get a job really easily and it didn't kind of go that way because Brisbane's a little bit, not so much what you know but who you know a little bit. And um, anyway, I found myself eventually working as a general manager for a financial planning firm and then working out pretty quickly that wasn't going to stay together in the size that it was, so I sort of did myself out of a job. And one of the guys said to me, Helen, I think you should be a financial advisor. And I said, oh, dear, no, I don't think so. (laughs) And then when I thought about it, not so much the title, but actually what you do. So for me, it's finance plus project management, which is trying to get people to achieve things and working through whatever's going on. And then it's about having a relationship with people. And so I thought, oh, one plus one plus one, I'll give it a go. And uh So, yeah, after the first year, I was like, oh, my Lord, what on earth have I done? Because obviously you don't earn a lot when you first start out. You (laughs) go from being salaried to make it on your own. But, yeah, we're about 11 years down the track now. So it's been quite a journey to get all the way that we've got to to get on your own two feet to where it is today. Mm, I love it. And I was about to ask you uh, what part of France? Yeah, so Paris was – it was out at – Massy, I think the actual office was, but we used to go to Chartres as well, which was very nice. Um, 
and yeah, so would have probably been working or living in the heart of Paris at that point in time, but it didn't work out that way. Mm. And before we got on the show, we were speaking about finance and women. It's one of those things we've had. Uh, we have a lot of women on the uh, as part of our uh, tribe, our women entrepreneurs, women in business, and it's one of those things they shun away from. Do you find that? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that somewhat people find boring, which I guess in some ways it kind of can be. But I also think that we often play to our strengths. So if we're really good at some things, we often let the things that we're not really passionate about or we don't feel confident about, we kind of let them go a little bit. Um, So it's almost some might be like putting the head in the sand, but I think it's more for me, I think people don't pursue it because they don't know who to ask, who's safe to deal with in order to help them to make good decisions. And the other thing is um, to not feel silly. So when I did my second master's and they asked you to do a research project, I picked why don't women seek financial advice? And as I researched it, one of the things that came up was that obviously we're a very male-dominated industry and the perception was that if they went to um, a, a male advisor that they could be made to feel silly or feel intimidated. So I think the luxury we're having now is that there are so many more women becoming financial advisors and really good women that, you know, we can be able to reach out more to those who want help, knowing that they can be safe to deal with. Mm. So, you know, I agree with that, absolutely. So what would be a radical shift that made your life change for the better? I think my background from when I was young, so we moved from England when I was uh, little and we were in quite a good position back then. But then when we moved to Australia, um, my dad kind of lost everything on a business deal and so we found ourselves in the rent cycle, you know, we are brought up sort of in housing commission home, uh, renting and things didn't, you know, secondhand clothes and those kind of things. And I remember just feeling very un- insecure financially and not that, you know, my dad worked and all that sort of thing like he did his absolute best, but he wasn't a very well man either. So we also just grew up feeling a little bit less than I guess and something stirred in me as as young as I was that that wasn't how I was going to live my life I was going to be an employee who got a regular salary I was going to go to uni and make sure that I got some good money so I could set myself up and get a house and all those kind of things so I think it was ingrained in me very young to get control over my finances and I remember my dad had one of those tin boxes that he used to carve out a little hole in and you put your coins in there that was some was for saving some was for spending and all of those things I think were already getting cemented in me as a youngster and then when you start you know living overseas and have to be independent and those things as well you learn to manage your money well as as well so I think it's just about taking control and very early thinking that and then making that happen as I've gone along my life really. And was that the driver that, um, uh, I guess, led you to writing the two books? Do you want to talk us through your two books for our listeners? Yes. So the first book is uh, Steady Steps 
to Women's Financial Independence and obviously titled On Your Own Two Feet. And the second one is the On Your Own Two Feet, which specifically is on divorce. And how the first one came about was actually I was going to write about divorce because I was seeing a lot of people, again, women vulnerable coming in to, to seek advice about that area. Um, not vulnerable in the sense like they had money, but just vulnerable in the sense of, you know, who do I go to? What, who, you know, again, who's safe? And when I tried to write the first book, I was like, oh, if it's, what if they um, are the one who left or the one who was left? What if they're working, not working? What if they have children, have children? And it just wasn't really coming together. And when I thought about it, I thought, what do I see on a regular basis? And I thought, I see all different ages of women. I see all different stages in life. I see them getting inheritances, widowed, terminally ill, divorce, like a whole range. So I tried to build in something that talks about ages and life stages with those key components about what I call my five foundations. And then later on was when it, I thought, oh, the divorce one and the divorce one's come together completely differently because I created four phases that I believe you go through in divorce and I've come from that aspect as opposed to all these if this, if that sort of situation. But the real purpose behind the book was I guess when I started my own business and you didn't really have much, you got some sort of revelation about how a dollar could make a difference to somebody who was sitting on the street or $5 or $10 and you realised when you don't have a lot, it makes a big difference. And so once I got to the point where I was making my own money from giving advice in my business, what I saw was here's an opportunity. If I write the book that I don't really need the money from the book so much because I get paid for doing my advice then I can channel the money from this book that helps someone in the first world make good decisions and move that money to the third world because such a small amount can make a radical difference to somebody in a country where money goes a lot further. And so you'd be able to pull people out of some disadvantaged situations in order to help them, you know, get on their own two feet in their own country as well. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And with the first book, you talked about the five foundations. Would you like to share that with us? Yeah, sure. So what I sort of think about is if you build a house, you put a lot of money down in, you know, the concrete and the piping and the metal that keeps it from being blown over. Or if you think of it as a makeup, you know, women put their makeup on, they put the foundation on first before they layer up. So what I thought is, the first thing I think women need is an emergency fund because, again, we're wired for security. There's a sleep at night factor that is different for everybody. For some people, it's not very much. For others, it's quite a significant amount of money. And that's what they need to have in the bank to sleep at night. And then it's there to protect them in case something bad happens, like they lose their job or cash flow in their business becomes tight or could be a good thing, like a great opportunity to go travelling with some girls who have just picked a holiday. But it's having something there for repairs or anything. The second one's what I call a spending and an investment plan. So a lot of people use the term budget when you come to money. And for me, it's unrealistic. It's almost like a diet. So we get really strict and then we realise that it's not realistic and then we just blow it out of the water and undo everything we did. So what I call is a spending plan. So the groceries, the petrol, 
getting your hair and your nails done, buying those shoes, going on holiday, all those things that are regular expenses and your electricity and so on. And then hopefully there's something left over and you can use that leftover to invest in something because we know really super on its own, superannuation on its own probably won't be enough. We just need to have so much more now. So if we look at investing, then our best friend when we're investing is actually time. So the earlier we do something for small amounts over a long period of time will probably get us in a better position than big lump sums later in life. So that's one and two. The third one is around the insurances. So private health insurance is one aspect. General insurance is the other one. So your home contents, cars, and if you have a business, it's public liability and those kind of areas. And then the third one is around those personal insurances. So life insurance, total and permanent disablement, income protection and trauma are the four types of insurances that you can do to protect yourself. And then the fourth one is around superannuation because we already have that in play. So it's something we can get control of and make that work hard for us as well. So you're looking at the fees, looking at how your money's invested, looking at the insurances that might be inside your super. Are they the right amount, too much, too little? Um, is the cover the right one or is there a better policy? And then the nominations on your super. So lots of people leave it to their mum which probably mum is not an eligible beneficiary unless she's my mum who's financially dependent on me. So, you know, depending on where women are at, they may or may not have those right nominations in place, which leads to number five, which is the estate planning. So having your wills, having powers of attorney, advanced health directives, all those kind of aspects to support what's there. So if we think about those five foundations, then we build what we're going to build on top then hopefully, you know, things don't come crashing down because if we lose our job or have cash flow issues, we've got the emergency fund or if we get sick or injured and can't work, then we can draw on our insurances. And so having those in place, then we can look at, okay, what else do I do from here? Do I um, start investing in something? Because often what people do is they've got investment properties or they've got businesses or they've got shares or something like that but they haven't secured these five foundations. And so the risk is something goes wrong and then they're forced to sell those investments that they worked so hard to attain to start with. And, of course, if you go to sell them, they're usually never worth what you thought they'd be worth because you've got pushed into a corner. Do you know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. So what are some creative things that one can do with the super? Yeah, I think looking at how you've been, how you're invested. So um, if I give you an example, there was a client who came once and she had all of her money just invested in a term deposit. So if you think about a term deposit earning about 2%, 2.4% at the moment, um, inflation's supposed to be 3% and then they've got to pay fees and taxes on that money. So essentially that money's going to go backwards. So I think it's about working out what's appropriate for you at different times and different ages and stages in life you're probably wanting to take different risks with how your money's invested in your super than you would you know if you were sort of getting up to retirement you probably want to be protecting a lot more of that money so it's about working out where you are in your life what you're trying to achieve and then making those things target but the super is a good one because it's you can't touch it for such a long time. So you can let it ride some 
ups and downs without being too fearful that hopefully it's not invested in anything that's going to blow up. You've got to be wise about that. But making sure it's invested in a way that is aligns with what you're you're comfortable with, and most importantly, that you understand how it's invested. So, a lot of people just actually don't know and just throw the statement in a shoebox and not even look at it. So it's about taking control over that because it is actually if someone explains it to you properly, it's actually really quite easy to understand. So, yeah. Yeah, and I've heard some people manage their own super. What are your thoughts around that? As in like the self-managed super yeah, self, fund? Yep. Mm. So it's another way that you can invest in your superannuation is to have self-managed super fund. The thing is when you get some people who are selling the same thing to everybody, a bit like a cookie-cutter approach, that's the danger because they're not for everybody. Sometimes people sign up for these things and statistics show that I think it's something crazy like 83% of the money or something is in term deposits or cash. So whilst they've taken control in essence by calling it a self-managed super fund and managing it themselves, how are they actually investing and what are they doing with it? A lot of times they do nothing because people get a little bit frozen with how the market's going to move. But it's really great for things such as commercial property. So if you've got a commercial property attached to your business, that's a nice way where you can maybe buy it through the self-managed super fund and pay your rent to it. And so it depends on what the situation is again. But to me, it's about what's right for you. And what's right for your friend is probably going to be different than what's right for you. The other thing to think about with self-managed super fund is you're subject to the same laws and legislation that normal superannuation is. So I think there's a perception there that I do things differently to normal super, which is untrue. And if you do make a mistake, you know, go to jail, do not collect $200, you know, that sort of thing. So you want to make sure that you you really know what's going on with it because you are the trustee of this super fund and so therefore you have obligations that you need to uh, make sure that you honour. So what piece of advice would you like to give someone who wants to embark on a new life or a career in some way, shape or form? As in like they want to go and start their own career, not in finance but just in something that they're passionate about? Yes, yes. Yeah. So for me, I think it's about having that emergency fund for a start, because when you start off in business, if you're starting off from scratch, as opposed to buying a business that already exists, you've got a lot of money to, to just start out. You know, you've got the setting it up in the right structure. Should it be in a company? Should it be in a trust? Um, Doing all the documentations. If there's other people involved with your shareholders agreements, doing all your marketing, doing uh, do you get your own premises and then do you commit to a lease for a long period of time. So depending on how you're building what you're getting involved in and what the financial commitments are, you want to make sure that you've got enough buffer for a while because it it's not usually that you're going to open your doors and, you know, a million dollars is going to come flying through in sales. Like often it takes a little while to build, which is why you see, in the first year, you know, somewhere around 85% of them sort of go bust in the first year. And I know even for myself, when I started mine, if I didn't have that big emergency fund behind me to get me through, 
then I would have been in all sorts of trouble. I mean, it was still it was still hard work, and I remember some days thinking I won't go into the office. I'll work from home to save myself the six dollar bus fare on, you know, just to make sure that I could stretch my money as far as I could because I didn't want to sell any of my investments I'd already worked hard to build. So I think it's about having a plan. The other thing that it can do for some is to work in parallel. So depending on what you're choosing to do, maybe keep the job going that you're doing or reduce it to part-time so you've always got the cash flow coming in and then you can start to build on the side as well as a nice way. The other thing is obviously if you're in a part in a relationship is um, you know you've got somebody who can continue to work and earn the salary to help buffer it up for a little while but it's about making sure you've got enough to keep going because you're not really sure how long it's going to take before the cash flow turns. I often joke you know the first year was awful, the second year it got a little bit better and by the third year I could eat again you know <laughs> so it's really it was really challenging and you just had to keep on going. So Helen, you've got a very successful business and uh, I'm curious, what has been some of your greatest lessons learned along your way? Yeah, so I think someone said to me a long, long time ago that one of your greatest strengths is that you care and your greatest weakness is that you care. So finding a way to manage your heart, guard your heart is a really important one. Um, The second one's probably about not trying to do everything yourself. So I've been very fortunate that I have people like Rob Behrens who has mentored me and encouraged me along the way. So when I, you know, go through tough times or I'm struggling with a decision about what do I do, um, I can draw on Rob for his expertise or people like Laura who are working with me now and other people around me. Um, The other one for me is I benefit from coming into the office. So if I work from home, I tend to get distracted and not focused. So coming into the office gives me extra energy as well to be around the team and just buffering ideas off people and, um, you know, doing that. Obviously, if you're doing a project, sometimes working from home is really good because you can get focused. But generally, I find coming in the office, being around other people, sharing um, is really important to helping me keeping going. Mm, So true. And Helen, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration about pain points. We believe everyone's got pain points. What would be some of your pain points and how do you move forward from your pain points? Pain points. So that's a hard one, isn't it? It's um, you should try to be very, being really vulnerable, I guess, to say that. Um, I think for me, one of them is I probably push myself really, really hard. So um, I have a tendency to burn myself out. So I will go gangbusters and then burn myself out and fall in a bit of a heap and not sure what to do. And then I sort of adjust what I'm doing with the business and say, okay, what am I learning? What do I need to change and make those changes and then go again and then again manage the burning out. So if I look at things, for example, where um, – Some clients that I dealt with in the early days, I used to go out to people's houses to start with and then I realised, you know what, I'm a professional. You don't expect your dentist to come out to their house. Um, I'm not a broker. I'm actually a a qualified advisor with a lot to offer. So I had to change my thinking around that and stop doing that. Um, Other ones have been 
uh, networking. So I've gone to certain networking groups for a period of time. Um, and then, you know, obviously it's another commitment and it's a lot of time out. And then you have to look at, is this a good use of my time? Is this a good return on my investment? Um, and just judging all of those. And then you keep evolving. I guess what was good three or five years ago and acceptable and right at that period of time can change as you keep growing as a business or as you keep evolving or as you keep deciding what you want to do in your business and what you don't want to do in your business. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Helen, you actually mentioned before about most businesses, I think 80-odd percent are lucky to survive 12 months. What do you think would be a particular reason that individuals fail to succeed in business? Yeah, it's probably that phrase, not that I really like it, but it's, you know, planning to fail or failing to plan, that kind of where I think they go in all guns blazing and we think we've got a great business or we think we have a great product and while it might be so, it can often take a long time for other people to recognise that. And so if you can't get that cash flow working, so the big issue when you're running a business is cash flow and it's certainly a lot more goes out the door than comes in usually at the start of a business. And, you know, they talk about um, business life cycles as well. So it's being able to read the play and making sure that you've got a plan of attack, you've got um, and probably getting other people to look at what you're doing and give their input as well. So people who you respect, the mentors who can look at it and say, you know, I wouldn't be doing that or I wouldn't be doing that right now or what if you cut the budget back on that expense and just to try and make it work. Um, it's really around that cash flow. I think it's two, it's two aspects. Obviously, you've got to keep yourself going because sometimes you can get demotivated when things don't go as, as you thought they would. But secondly, it's underpinned by money, unfortunately, and it's the cash flow that's king. Mm, I know. And I think that when things don't work out for us, we always look at how can we tweak it and what can we do differently to make it, um, you know, I guess, function or um, uh, work for us. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been talking to some people about recently is that sometimes bad things happen, but they're actually good. And what do I mean by that? Because that actually sounds a bit crazy, but Sometimes doors shut in certain situations or things don't go as planned and we think it's a really bad thing, but it's better in the way that another opportunity can come. And if you were doing that, this opportunity wouldn't have arisen, if that makes sense. Mm. So, you know, it's not always that if things don't go well that they're really necessarily bad, bad. It could just be that that's not the direction that you should be going in and there's another direction. So hold on and keep going and find where that direction is. Yeah, I have this little saying with every adversity is a seed of opportunity. So every time something goes wrong, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. Yeah, I think so. It's taking the, um, as Laura would say with me, it's like what is the information that we take from that? So, you know, do we have to change um, our fee structure? Do we need to change our process? Do we need to change the way we're communicating something? Like what is it that we take as the learning from that that actually makes us better at mm. what we do? Yeah. Yeah. So, Helen, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> Probably <laughs> being nicer to yourself I've um really struggled in with that like I was saying before with the burnout so that 
push, 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 and um, I often haven't taken the time to be so kind to myself. So one of the big things I make sure I do now on the weekends is I actually have the two days off. So I don't read emails on the weekend that are related to work. I don't do anything related to work. I might think. So I'm a big kayaker and I like riding my board at the beach. So I might do a lot of thinking time and drift off with some ideas, but I don't physically do work on the weekends. I make sure I give myself those two days break and have a little bit of a rest, give my my brain a downtime and let myself refresh. And importantly, make sure I catch up with people that I care about rather than just being work, 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 work. Mm, I love it. I think we could all resonate with that one. (laughs) So, Helen, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. So what would be that one word for you? I think safe. That's the thing I mm. wanted from the from the start is I had actually seen three financial advisors through the course of my own journey, like not working as a financial advisor, but actually as uh, a professional woman earning a good salary that wanted to do something to get ahead. And so from that, what I realised is the luxury I have now is I can actually, with my own business do the things that I want to do in the way I wanted to be treated and the way that I wanted things explained to me. So the key that underpins it for me is safe. So we're a fee-for-service business. We always have been. Um, and that way we're people are paying for advice as opposed to uh, being sold a product, for example. And we look at the whole aspect. So we talk about getting the whole financial house in order looking at everything from the wills to, you know, the spending, the insurances, the investments, everything, rather than just being one piece of that puzzle. Because if you don't get the left hand and the right hand working together, you know, that it, it doesn't really matter how much investment you have. If you haven't underpinned it with the right things to start with, it's going to come crashing down. So I think it's about being safe and other people will probably say shoes because if you look at the brand, it's got the shoes on and I'm mm-hmm. known around town for my shoes. So that's probably the other one that people would think of when they think of my brand. <laughs> it's so true. Actually, both books have got shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always my big passion was shoes. I often wondered after seeing that movie, that P.S. I Love You, I thought, oh, I wonder whether I'm going to design shoes because I really do love shoes. But it's bizarre when they did the logo for the brand that they came up with the shoes. It was like right on cue. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing that we love to do, Helen, as we wrap up the show is we love to ask our women of inspiration to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Yeah, so I would say think about what it is that you really love and then do more of that. So often we get tied up in things that are not the things that we're passionate about and I'll often get asked by people like, I don't really know what I want to do and I'll say, well, what is it that comes easy to you? So for me it was it was finance, it was making things happen, it was dealing with people. I didn't understand that terminology would be classified under a financial advisor terminology but that's what I love and what I'm passionate about And it's also the things that I'm good at. So I think pursue that as number one. Um, Number two, I think um, be inspired. So if you can find anything that's on our website from anything that I've written or anything that I've said, 
whether it's the book or what was on Studio 10 the other week or anything that inspires you to go out and be the best that you can be with your finances, then do that one. And number three, um, go out there and say something nice to someone else that's another woman out there. So I often talk about there's kind of two different people out there. There's the 12-year-old high schooler who's the gossip person or there's the woman out there who's doing everything she can to make things better for other women and I think that's where we want to live. We want to be in whatever we can do that makes other women better. So if we can smile at another woman today or help another woman or make a connection for another woman today to help them go along, I think that's what we should be doing. Mm, I love that one. Absolutely love that one. So, Helen, did you want to share with our listeners your second book uh, on divorce? Tell us, you talked about four phases. Maybe just give us a high level of what are those four phases? Yeah, so the first level is at the pre, what I call pre-settlement. So this is before you sign off with the lawyer. And obviously lawyers can't give financial advice. So they want you to make sure that you get good quality financial advice before you go. And this is where I think people think it's just about investing. But if you read around the pre-settlement, you'll find out how complex it is and more importantly, how to avoid the mistakes that cost you often more than what you would have paid the lawyer if you get it wrong. So the first one's pre-settlement. The second one is the negotiation phase. So if you're what I call armed and dangerous after you've got well educated in pre-settlement phase. And when you go to negotiation, you're in a good position. You know you're going to get the wall pulled over your eyes. You understand the pros and cons. If the other side comes back with this or that, then you know how that works for you. So that's the second phase. The third one's post-settlement. So assuming that it's all finished and then the money is moved, you might have ended up with 10,000 more of that or $100,000 less of that or however it's turned out at the end of the day and then how do you reset that before you start moving forward and then the fourth one is rebuilding. So we're all on this journey that we're trying to build for our now and our long-term future. So we've all got to start doing those things that we were talking about before around foundations and investments so the earlier we can get started on those, the better and getting control. And some of those you can do throughout the process and some you'll have to do at the rebuilding stage. How do we get you to a rebuild everything that you've kind of lost? Mm, love that. So Helen, for our listeners, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so in just go to our website, I think, is on your own two feet com.au and then you'll find everything that you need there if you need to chat with us if you want to read a blog if you want to buy a book whatever you can do from there you know that should be the hub that hopefully answers as many questions that you have as possible Helen, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us and, and your stories and I'm sure our listeners will reach out once again thank you so very much thank you and thank you to everybody for listening thank you That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations 
or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself. <music>